thank you for joining us for the Covenant Gathering here on EurofolkRadio.com. Our host is Pastor Visser from CovenantPeoplesMinistry.org. We hope that you are inspired to grow in faith and wisdom by studying the scriptures each week with us. It is written, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, and gather the children. So let us gather together for this Bible study hour with our host, Pastor Visser, on the Eurofolk Radio Network. Good afternoon to my friends and kinsfolk all around the world, and thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor Visser, broadcasting live on Christmas Eve, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, only on the Eurofolk Radio Network. And before we begin our examination today, I would like always to thank Paul English and the Eurofolk Radio crew for allowing me this very gracious time slot to address our people. And as you heard me mention, today is December 24th, 2016. And it is 12 noon in Eastern Standard, Eastern Standard Time here on the East Coast. And what that means is that a majority of our people are out finishing up their quote unquote Christmas shopping. And in London right now, it is 5 p.m meaning that some of our kinsfolk are settling down for the evening and getting ready to celebrate the Christmas festivities tomorrow. And dear kinsfolk, throughout the years I have done many examinations on the holiday known as Christmas. In fact, I've done three pro-Christmas sermons and I've done four exposing all of the cons that go behind it. But today we're not going to look at the history or the uh, background into the holiday itself because it goes without saying that it does have pagan roots and it goes without saying that here in America it has been turned into a consumer holiday. In that I mean a majority of our people will spend so much money in the month of December that they spend eight months earning it back, and most of them do so on on usury, using credit cards. But it should be common sense that we are a forgetful people, my friends. And this is the reason why, throughout the Old Testament, Yahweh God commands us annual festivals. Two of those would be the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. And the reason Yahweh God commands us as a people to annually remember the Passover and the tabernacle is because Yahweh knows that we will forget who He is. And with that being said, my friends, I have always felt that this is a perfect time of year to tell the nativity story. Without going into the background on how Christmas began... And the reason for that is dual fold. One is this. If we are not commanded as a people to annually observe the birth of Christ, then we as a people will not observe the birth of Christ. Or else Yahweh God is a liar. And so when we look at this, we also know that there are many people who sin six days out of the week. 
and they go to church on Sunday, and they feel that that is their faith. And perhaps that's between them and God, but I am here to tell you, my friends, that I would rather our people go weekly to a Judeo-Christian church than go out and do nothing at all. And the reason for that is because it is always the Jews that are behind the obliteration of Christmas. And the reason they want to obliterate this holiday is because if they can get us to stop at least observing or telling the story of the birth of Christ, then they know that Christ will be erased from amongst our people. And so it is with the Judeo-Christian. Inasmuch as I would not have a Judeo-Christian cease going to those churches, because it's obviously more preferable than stealing the stereo out of my car, so it stands with Christmas. We must be wise concerning this holiday because wise King Solomon said that wisdom is the chiefest and most principal thing. Therefore, if Solomon says wisdom is most desired and most chaste, then it comes down to common sense. We must understand the history behind the the background of Christmas but also not allow the Jew to obliterate it because if they obliterate our annual a gathering together to tell this nativity story, then they have succeeded. And my friends, this week alone, a school in Pennsylvania, a grammar school, has canceled their Christmas carol play that they have done for years because the Jew does not like the statement made by Tiny Tim, God bless us, each and every one of us. And so also was another capital forced to remove the star on top of their Christmas tree. And ironically, behind both of these moves to obliterate Christianity from amongst our people was a Jew. A Jew who wanted a menorah on top of the Christmas tree, turning it into a Hanukkah bush, and another Jew whose son went to the school. So with that being said, what we're going to look at today is not necessarily directly from the Bible, although I will be looking at the nativity story from the two of the four Gospels it appears in. But we're going to be looking at the Apocrypha and several Gnostic books and what they have to say regarding the nativity of Yahshua and the pregnancy of the Virgin Mary. But before we do that, if you are interested in hearing some of my pro-Christmas sermons, they're not really pro-Christmas, let me interject that they're pro-nativity, look for three sermons I've preached. Unto us a child is born, unto us a child is given, and Prince of Peace. And those are preached between the years 2008 and 2015. And again, let me clarify, we're not going to be looking into the background, we're going to be looking at what the Gnostics and what many other non-canonized books have to say regarding this event. And so, where should we begin in looking at this? Because after all, there will be men who come in and say, well, the birth of Christ is not commanded to celebrate. But is it, my friend? Seems to me that we have over 20 prophecies given in Jeremiah and Isaiah alone, all saying particular things regarding a coming Redeemer. And perhaps one of the most important statements that is made in regards of this is found in Isaiah chapter 9, 
where we learn in verse 6, Unto us a child is born. Stopping right there. Unto us a child is born. That is a prophecy given by Isaiah. And Isaiah was a prophet to Israel. And he wants you to understand that not to the entire world, but unto us a child is given. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. And upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth forever. The zeal of Yahweh of hosts will perform this. Now, this is a well-known prophecy because it is a foreshadowing of the virgin birth. But what I want you to understand about Isaiah chapter 9 is it says four specific terms making this an exclusive Savior born unto our people. Number one is this, unto us a child is born. Number two is, unto us a son is given. Number three is, upon the throne of David. He shall order it. And number four, to establish it, the throne of David, his people, with justice. So, the prophecy is racial. And this, my friends, was a prophecy that our people for 600 years were looking forward to. They were looking for the coming Redeemer because it was prophesied so many times throughout the Old Testament. So, isn't it ironic that while we were commanded to look forward to annually, every year, the birth of Christ, there are people who will come in and say, well, we're not celebrated to uh, celebrate, or we're not commanded to celebrate Yahshua's birthday. Really? Well, the Feast of Tabernacles is Yahshua's birthday, and we're commanded annually to celebrate that. But perhaps that's a study for another day. Unto us, The Israelite men, women, and children, a Savior is born. And that, my friend, is why the Jew seeks to obliterate this holiday. Notice the Jew doesn't come in and say it's pagan. Let's do away with it. The Jew comes in and says, you know what? This is a Christian holiday. And so my belief and my opinion is we, as the faithful, should capitalize upon that. If people go to church only once a year and this happens to be the time, then tell them the truth. Because the Jew seeks a time where no one tells anybody the truth. But that's not the only place unto us a child is born. Isaiah makes another prophecy regarding the coming man-king for the children of Israel. It's found in Isaiah chapter 7 where we learn in verse 14. Therefore, Yahweh Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call His name Emmanuel. Meaning, God with us. And that ties all the way right to the other prophecy and all the way into the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. That both confirm that Yahshua and His mother Miriam fulfilled this. In the nativity. So, 
Number one, we are told a child will be born, a child will be giving, given. Look forward to that for an upwards of a thousand years. Does it make sense as to why the Magi were in the field and the shepherds were looking? Well, we're going to prove today that those two acts of celebrating the birth of Yahshua was prophecy being fulfilled. Therefore, if it is a commandment of Yahweh God that unto us a child is born, we best look forward to this particular time of year, whatever it is. Allow no man to judge you in regards of a holy day and or in Sabbath. But, in order for us to fully obliterate Christmas as a pagan holiday, we have to get our people to stop celebrating Christmas and observing the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, is that possible? <laughs> Absolutely not. So, what does Isaiah say? He says in chapter 7, verse 14, Yahweh Himself will give you a sign, and the sign that's given us is a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and it will be known as Emmanuel, or God with us. So, for 600 years, we were looking to the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, and Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, because they both refer to a coming Redeemer. Therefore, Isaiah also not only tells us the sign that Yahweh will give us, which is an unnatural, a supernatural sign, a virgin conceiving, but he tells you the very place in which they are born and the events surrounding the nativity. That is found in Isaiah chapter 60, where we read in verse 6, The multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian and Ephra. All they from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense. And they shall show forth the praises of Yahweh. Very interesting, is it not? Because here we see a foreshadowing and a prophecy given that remained unfulfilled for almost a thousand years of gift giving. The very Magi who brought Frankincense, gold, and myrrh to our coming, re our, our new Redeemer. And let me interject in the lost books of the Bible, in the book of Adam and Eve, frankincense, gold, and myrrh was the first gifts Yahweh God gave to Adam and Eve when they dwelt within the cave of treasures. But perhaps that also is a study for another day. So Isaiah says, this is the sign Yahweh will give. This is where and how it will happen. And also that presents will be brought in the shape of what? Golden incense. And they shall show forth the praises of Yahweh God. Now that is just three of the numerous prophecies given by Isaiah because I don't have time today. I want to get into the apocryphal nativity. But one more place we need to look at in establishing at least according to the King James Version of the Bible, these prophecies that were fulfilled in our Redeemer. In Jeremiah chapter 31, we learn in, this, in verse 15, Thus saith Yahweh, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. That, my friend, was fulfilled in Herod's mindless slaughter of the innocents. And we're going to look at that very briefly 
from both Matthew and Luke. But so far, in coming out the gate, I have proven to you that there are four prophecies alone, out of at least 50, dealing with the nativity story, and that it was the divine providence and will of Yahweh God that the Magi bring golden incense, that he would be born in Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. So, Christmas is for the Israelite men, women, and children. Not the entire world. And because the entire world comes in and paganizes it, and turns it into a consumer holiday, does not mean that you and I need to relinquish the act of doing good. So, the gospel, as we know it, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells the story of this nativity. They tell the story of the virgin birth, and they talk about the angelic salutation given at the hands of Gabriel. And before we look at this, let me interject as well. Gabriel, according to the book of Enoch, is considered the overlord of paradise. Therefore, today, when we look at the Proto-Evangelium, and when we look at the pseudo-gospel of Matthew, or the gospel of the birth of Mary, hold that in the back of your mind. Because we have four gospels. The nativity story appears in Matthew and Luke, but is not mentioned in Mark and John. Because Mark and John as gospels are supplemental to Matthew and to Luke. So in beginning, and I'm going to go through this quickly because time is already getting away from me. In Matthew chapter 1, we learn in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was in this wise. When his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of Yahweh appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of Ekex, the Holy Ghost, meaning derived and the direct offspring of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to pay close attention to the actions of Joseph as we look at these accounts. Because oftentimes, in my estimation, the righteous works of Joseph are overlooked in telling this story. We usually look at Miriam, and we look at Yahshua. But it was Joseph who did not want to put Mary away privately. And what we need to understand about that is that is in fulfillment And in fact, a violation, some could say, of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. So it was Joseph who understood because an angel of Yahweh told him. But for all intents and purposes, when a woman is pregnant by any man outside of her husband, she was to be put to death by the Mosaic law. And of course, the Jews take this, they run with it and capitalize on it. Their Talmud has no problem saying that Mary was a whore and Christ was born of adultery. Because they love espousing, just as they did in John 8.44, that Christ was born of fornication. 
But the angel appears to Joseph and says, Fear not, right? And also commands him, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Ghost. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. So now, do you understand why I took you in beginning this look to Isaiah? Where we learn, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Why? Christ came to save his people, Israel, from their sins. Therefore, a genuine son of Yahweh God will not seek the obliteration of this Christmas holiday. Because the alternative is what? (laughs) Exactly. So, continuing on. Verse 22. Now all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken of Yahweh by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which, being interpreted, is God with us. What is that? That's Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. That is the very prophecy I took you to in beginning today's look at the apocryphal nativity, my friends. And so, does that seem to you like we were looking forward to the birth of a Savior? That we were commanded to look forward to it and not only that bring gifts? Well, bear with me. But the prophecy is Isaiah. And all of this, according to Matthew chapter 1, was that the prophecy that I read you in Isaiah 7, 9, and 60 would be fulfilled. The prophecy pertaining to the birth of Christ. A prophecy that annually, for probably eight to 900 years, our people look forward to. But it ultimately did not come, at least until the time appointed by Yahweh God. Then Joseph being raised from his sleep, did as the angel of Yahweh has bidden him. And he took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Who? Joseph. But the prophecy was handed down, not only by the hands of angels through Gabriel, but also the very prophecy into the township in which he was born, the name by which he would have, meaning Emmanuel, and that angel appeared to Joseph so Joseph could cover Mary from the Mosaic Law. Interesting, is it not? Because Joseph obviously understood the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And those that understand the spirit of the law have no problem with Christmas. But those who have a dog in the fight, so to say who are working with the Jews and seeking its obliteration, well, they're bound to say anything. Wisdom, again, is the principal thing. Do you think it's wise to allow the Jew to obliterate Christmas completely? Or would it be wiser to actually understand the background of this Christmas pagan holiday, being Saturnella, and actually use it to our benefit as the sons and daughters of Yahweh God? Well... Seems to me the answer is obvious. Turn with me one final place in the canonized Gospels, and that is the Gospel according to Luke, which is one of the most expansive 
of the four. Again, Mark and John are supplementary Gospels. The Nativity appears in Matthew, we covered it, chapter 1, but also Luke chapter 1, where we can learn, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house, meaning race, of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, Yahweh is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. (laughs) Now anybody who's ever gone to Catholic Church knows this. This is called the angelic salutation. Also known as the Hail Mary. But what I want you to understand is it's directly at least that part of it right here. Whether we look at the Proto-Evangelion or whether we look at the Pseudo-Gospel, every one of them confirmed that Mary was of high virtue that Mary was conceived, or Yeshua was conceived of the Holy Ghost. And even here in Luke, and back in Matthew, we learn that Joseph, after the Annunciation of Gabriel, did not know his wife in the biblical sense. So many people ask, where does Judas come from? Where did James come from? After Yeshua. Because the law dictates that the birthright goes to who? The firstborn. So, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the race of David and the virgin's name was Miriam. And Gabriel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that is highly favored. Yahweh is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, pay close attention to what Mary does. That is provided in verse 29 here in Luke chapter 1. And when she, Mary, saw the angel, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Yet again, the same prophecy that sat there for 800 years. And people were looking forward to a coming Redeemer. Seems to me we were commanded to look forward to the birth of Yahshua. And I see no place in the New Testament where we are commanded to not look forward to the birth of Yahshua on an annual basis. Especially in light of the fact that you're not going to get these pagans out here who go to Judeo-Christian churches to stop celebrating Christmas and start worshiping the Feast of Tabernacles, which is to celebrate God tabernacling with us. And what does that mean, but Emmanuel? The very prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The angel himself says, you will conceive and you shall have a son and call his name Jesus. But what else? Verse 32. He shall be called great, shall be called the son of the highest, and Yahweh God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. How come this text doesn't say the throne of the entire world or all powers and principalities? Rather, Yahweh God bestows upon Yahshua at His birth during the nativity the keys of life and death 
and what? The throne of his father David. Is this why Yahshua would say, I am the root and offspring of David? Indeed it is. But that's a study for another day. What else does Gabriel say? He shall reign over the kingdom of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom shall be no end. So what's hard to understand about that? The very prophecy that Yahshua fulfilled was a racially segregationist prophecy. It was never intended for the entire world, and just because the entire world comes in and says, you know what, I went into debt and hawked my car to buy my kid an Xbox does not mean we need to go ahead and allow the pagan tree into our life. Christmas is for Israel, my friend. And let me interject, Wesley Swift, Bertrand Compare, and every CI pastor taught that until Sheldon Emery in the mid-80s. But again, the fact that it has pagan roots does not disannul the fact that we are the chosen people of God and whatever time would you be able to tell this nativity story? Well, if the Jew obliterated Christmas, you wouldn't be able to at all. Because already we're not allowed to wear a cross in a public school. Already you're not allowed to have the star of Bethlehem on a Christmas tree without offending the Jew. And you know what, my friend? Anything that upsets the Jew as much as Christmas does, to me, is a great thing. <laughs> a great thing. So, those are two brief looks at the Annunciation, directly from the Gospel. And I have preached on this before, as I said, in 2008, 13, and 15. I also have sermons going back all the way to 2004, looking at the pagan aspects. So, what I'd like to do now, is actually take a look at some of the narratives as they appear in the other Gospels. So that you can see several things. One, the birth of Yahshua was foretold and commanded that we should look forward to. Number two, Mary was truly virtuous because these books that we're about to look at explain how she was raised in the holiest of holies. How she was raised within the temple and it stands to reason her parents were Anna and Joasim. And Joasim was the high priest in Jerusalem at the time. And number three, finally, will be the fact that Joseph understood the spirit as opposed to the letter of the law. So much that he could protect Mary from being stoned, protect her from Herod's mindless slaughter of the innocents by going into Egypt. And let me interject, that act of going into Egypt was fulfillment of a prophecy given to Hosea, that out of Egypt I shall call my son. So we don't really have time to look at that today. But in your own free time, look it up. Out of Egypt, I shall call my son. Yahshua had to go into the land of Egypt during Herod the first slaughter. And what's interesting about that is while Joseph was instrumental in protecting the baby Jesus, going into Egypt 33 years later to the date, Herod the second, had him strung up upon a cross. So, let me say that in 2009, I covered the gospel of the birth of Mary in its entirety. I covered the Proto-Evangelion in 2009 as well. 
And the Syriac Infancy Gospel, which is also known as Infancy Book One. This is attributed to James, Thomas, many other people. But it's a conglomeration of these particular books put together. So, in short, if you require to hear the full book of the Gospel of Mary or the full book of the Proto-Gospel, those are accessible on my website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org. But the first place we're going to look today is the Gospel of the Birth of Mary, also known as the Book of Mary. Now, you're not going to have this in your canonized Bible, but if you're studying along or you're hearing this in archive, feel free to go ahead and look this book up and read along. We're going to be examining the seventh chapter. And this is where we learn, beginning in verse 1. Now, at this time of her first coming into Galilee, the angel Gabriel was sent to her from God to declare to her the conception of our Savior and the manner and way of her conceiving him. Point number one for the day is this. Mary, even though she was raised within the holiest of holies, was not intimately familiar with the prophecies that would be fulfilled through her conception until the Annunciation of Gabriel. How can I say that? Well, Matthew and Luke both exclaim that when Gabriel appeared to Mary, she wondered, she feared, she pondered within her mind what manner of salutation this should be. If this was a mere man and not an angelic being, what need would she have to be filled with dread and or fear? Exactly. Verse 2. Accordingly, going into her, he filled the chamber where she was with a prodigious light, and in a most courteous manner saluting her, he said, Who? Gabriel. That's confirmed in Luke. That's confirmed in Matthew. It's confirmed in other books. But does it not make sense? Proto or pseudo. When we look at these terms, we need to understand that the Proto-Evangelion it's not only a book, but it is also considered Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the pseudo-gospel. And the reason for that is because that is the first mention of Yahshua coming. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. The very first mention of Yahshua coming after the deeds of the devil and after Satan had defiled the womb of Eve. And that is why when we get to the protoevangelium, it is Joseph who says, in the exact manner of Adam, so it has happened unto me. But back here in Mary, book 1, verse chapter 7, verse 3. Hail Mary, virgin of the Lord, most acceptable. O virgin, full of grace. The Lord is with you. You are blessed above all women. You are blessed above all men that have here to ever been born. So is Mary full of grace? Indeed she is. And she found grace and or favor in the eyes of Yahweh God. And the reason for that is given in the Protevangelion, my friend. And perhaps we don't have time today, but basically all the young girls that were maintained as virgins, that grew up within the temple, that would go up and down the stairs doing the Song of Degrees, over and over and over, when it came time to be married, every single woman said, hey, great, I'm ready. I want to have a husband. I want to have children, but not so with the Virgin Mary. Not according to these books. 
She would rather serve Yahweh God than be married, my friend. And that is why she found grace. There was no whoredoms to be found within her. Very important, because this time of year is where we can praise Mary for being full of grace, for finding favor in the eyes of Yahweh God. Verse 4, But the virgin, who had been before well acquainted with the countenances of angels, and whom such light from heaven was no uncommon thing, was terrified with the vision of the angel, and began to consider what extraordinary a salutation should mean. What it did pretend, or what sort of end it would have. And to this thought, not statement, to this thought, the angel, divinely inspired, replied, Fear not, Mary, as I intended anything, nothing, inconsistent with your chastity in this salutation. For you have found favor with Yahweh because you made virginity your choice. Did you hear that, my friend, especially to the younger female listeners? Did you hear that? You can find favor with Yahweh God if you remain abstinent. If you choose virginity as your choice. And that, according to these Gnostic books, is why Mary found grace and favor and was chosen of Yahweh God. She wasn't running out to be married, to consummate her marriage with a man. She would rather serve God within the very temple. But not only that, he says in verse 10, Therefore, while you are a virgin, you will conceive without sin and bring forth a son. He shall be great because he shall reign from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. And he shall be called the son of the highest. For he who is born in a mean state on earth reigns in an exalted one on heaven, my friend. Understand that prophecy? Yahshua came into a world with a death Sentence pronounced on his head before he even exited Miriam's womb through Herod the first. This is why they would go into Egypt and Joseph would protect Mary and Christ. And ultimately why he would be called out of Egypt and come back to be taxed, etc. But Christ was born a criminal. He was crucified a criminal between two common criminals also known as malefactors. Why does it Judeo-Christianity seemingly ever get around to preaching these very simple aspects? Christ was hated of the world. Therefore, the world comes in and says, you know what? Let's go ahead and obliterate Christ's birthday. Everybody else, they can have their birthday. Insignificant man who lives in upwards of a brick of time. But let's not celebrate Christ's birthday, right? Because after all, there's only two birthdays in the Bible. Herod, Pharaoh. (laughs) My friends, we must use common sense. What was said is this. He shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord shall give him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. For he is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and his throne is forever. That is the third time today I have proven to you the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Unto us a child will be born, and unto us a child will be given. Right here in the gospel of the birth of Mary. Now how does Mary answer? After Gabriel says he is the king of kings, rightful title, Lord 
of lords, not Yahweh of lords. The Lord of all lords. And not only that, His throne is forever and ever. If His throne is forever and ever, how will we remember that throne if we as a people aren't annually gathering together to at least tell the story? To at least pretend that it's Christ's birthday? It won't happen. So how does she answer? Well, that answer is provided here in Mary, book 1, chapter 7, verse 15. To this discourse of the angel, the virgin replied not, as though she were unbelieving, but willing to know the manner of it. She said, How can that be? For seeing, according to my vow, I have never known any man. How can I bear a child without the addition of a man's seed? Now, I want you to understand this, my friend. Mary was perfect. She was chosen. And many people usually will start to dismiss those things that they don't understand. And you can't dismiss one thing that you don't understand without dismissing eight other things. And one of the things many people have issue with is the virginal birth. The virginal conception. And my friend, with Yahweh God, all things are possible. And this was foreseen in Isaac the man. Not only was Abraham commanded to sacrifice his only begotten son, as Yahweh God did us with Jesus, but so also was he conceived later in life with Yahweh God's help. So Mary says, how can this be? Because I can't have a child without a man's seed. Verse 17. To this the angel replied and said, Think not, Mary, that you shall conceive in the ordinary way. For, without lying with a man, did you hear that? Without lying with a man, while a virgin you shall conceive, while a virgin you shall bring forth, and while a virgin you shall give suck. Conceive, bring forth. Unto us a son is given, unto us a child is born. My friend, Fourth time I have proven Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 is ultimately fulfilled. Gabriel continues, For the Holy Ghost shall come upon you and the power of the Most High shall overshadow you without any of the heat of lust. So that which shall be born of you will be holy because it is conceived without sin. Stopping right there. If Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit without sin then it seems to me that everyone else is conceived in sin. Therefore, there is such a thing as the original sin. There is such a thing as being born into sin. But perhaps I'll bring a study on that in the future. Then Mary, stretching forth her hands and lifting her eyes to heaven, said, Behold, the handmaid of Yahweh, let it be unto me according to your word. Your word. The prophecies that were given by Isaiah, Hosea, Malachi, Jeremiah, going all the way back to Yahweh God in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where we learn that Yahshua will crush the head of the serpent, but that that serpent also will what? Bite at our heels. So as time is getting away, turn with me to the Protevangelion. And I've covered this as well. If you uh, require more study on this, just email me. The address will be given at the conclusion of this particular broadcast. But in the Protevangelion, we learn so much about Mary being raised up, being set aside, finding favor with Yahweh God. We learn about Anna and Joachim, her parents, 
And it tells the background on these. So I definitely suggest these books, but not on par with our canon. I suggest them for your own study, and I suggest them so you can understand how people thought at that period in history. But in the Protoevangelion, chapter 9, we learn, beginning in verse 9, right after, actually we'll tell that in a minute, Behold, the angel of Yahweh stood by her and said, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor in the sight of God. Seventh time, from different sources and from different books, I have told you that Mary found favor. The answer was provided today in the mouth of Gabriel, the very archangel himself. She found favor. She found grace because she, quote, made virginity her choice, end quote. So, two points. Number one, you can find favor by remaining a virgin. And number two, we have free will if we can choose to go ahead and be a whore or to be virtuous. Mary was undoubtedly virtuous. The angel of the Lord stood by her and said, Thou hast found favor in the sight of Yahweh. Which, when she heard, she reasoned with herself what sort of salutation this meant. And the angel said unto her, Yahweh is with thee, and thou shalt conceive. To which she replied, What? Shall I conceive by the living God? And bring forth as all other women do? As all other women do? No. Mary conceived of the Holy Spirit, my friend. Yeshua was Emmanuel, God with us. Meaning, it was the Spirit of Yahweh God dwelling within Israelite flesh. And that is why Yeshua said, I am come to save my people from their sins, or I am come only to save the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Or, we are told also, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Christ did not come for the entire world. And these prophecies that dictate His coming were also not giving to the entire world. None of them. Unto us, unto you, uh, when the angels appear even to the Magi, to the shepherds, they say, unto you is born this day in the city of David, not the entire world. This Redeemer, this God that we worship, our brother, Yahshua Messiah, is for you and for I, but not the entire world, my friend. And so while we look forward to His return, that is no different than what they looked forward to under the Old Testament. They were looking forward to His second advent. We are looking forward to His third Well, his first. We're looking forward to his second advent. Put it that way. There's three earth ages. But back here in the Protoevangelion, chapter 9, she asks, Am I going to conceive of the living God and bring forth as all other women do? Verse 13. But the angel returned in answer, Not so, O Mary, but the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee. Wherefore, That which shall be born of thee shall be called Holy, the Son of the living God, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Notice it doesn't say he shall save all people from all sins, 
But here in the Protevangelion, we have a confirmation of what we learn in all four Gospels. That Christ didn't come for whoever believes. And therefore, just because people come in and say, I believe, and they ruin a Christian holiday, my friend, there's only two federally recognized Christian holidays down here, at least in America. One's Easter, which is totally pagan. And the second is Christmas, which is pagan within its root. But also a great opportunity to tell these stories because all of these prophecies are just like this. If Gabriel says he shall save his people from their sins, we better look at what people it is he came to save. And of course, Isaiah, the prophet to Israel, provides that key. But we're told this in the canonized Bible as well. Verse 15, And behold thy cousin Elizabeth, she has also conceived a son in her old age. And now this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God, my friend. And that is what's required of you and I. If we don't understand how Jonah was swallowed by a whale, perhaps we better look to reconcile how that is before we start dismissing it. If we don't understand how angels or cherubims and the heavenly host all have wings, and it's given in the law, and it's in First Kings, Chronicles, hell, the very first angel that was placed east of Eden had wings outstretched, then we had better seek to understand it, not dismiss it away. So, where else can we look? How about the Syriac Infancy Gospel? I concluded this last year. And it's actually very good. It has a lot of discrepancies. But of the books that I've covered today, the Syriac Infancy, known as Infancy 1, is a compilation of the writings of Thomas, James, etc. And it's put together within the Gnostic books. In Infancy Gospel, we learn, beginning in chapter 1, verse 4. In the 309th year of the era of Alexander, Augustus published a decree that all persons should go to be taxed in their own country. Joseph, therefore, arose with Mary, his spouse, and went to Jerusalem. And then came he to Bethlehem. And he and his family might be taxed in the city of his fathers. Now, I'm going to interject right here. It was Satan in the book of Kings that uh, provoked David to number the children of Israel. So we could easily say that the first taxation and census was brought forth by the devil. Therefore, every ruler of men, whether it's Trump, Hillary, or here, who, Augustus, Alexander, they like to what? They like to keep track of people. And therefore, the Jew is out there all the time through Facebook, you know, keeping track of their gradualism, seeing how many people are pro-homosexual, whatever it is. But that's the same exact thing that was happening. Joseph, the law was passed. You must be taxed. You need to return to the town of your what? Home. So he goes to where? Nazareth, Bethlehem, in fulfillment of a prophecy given by the minor prophets. Out of thee, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, shall come forth he who is to be ruler of all Israel. Not the entire world. Therefore, I could easily say those that tell you to abstain from Christmas aren't aren't Israelites. Because it's a holiday for Israel. It's a holiday for Israel. So, what happens? 
Joseph arose, arises and he goes. Verse 6. And when they came by the cave, Mary confessed to Joseph that her time of bringing forth was come. And she should not go into the city and said, let us go into this cave. But at that time, the sun was very near to going down. And Joseph hasted away that he might fetch her a midwife. And when he saw an old Hebrew woman who was of Jerusalem, he said to her, Pray come hither, good woman, and go into that cave, and you will see there a woman just ready to bring forth. And it was after sunset when the old woman and Joseph had reached the cave, and they both went in. And behold, it was filled with lights, greater than the lights of lamps and candles, and greater than the light of the sun itself. Wow! So Joseph returns with a midwife, going to have a home birth in the side of a cave, which was erroneously translated as manger, unfortunately. And the entire cave is filled with light. Light that's greater than the sun. Because it was Malachi in his final chapter that said, until the Son of Righteousness appear. Another prophecy that we were looking forward to concerning the birth of Christ. And Yahshua would say as he walked, I am the light of the world. If you abide in me, you shall not abide in darkness. So when Joseph returns with the Hebrew midwife straight out of Jerusalem, the entire cave was full of light. Greater than the light itself. And the infant was then wrapped in swaddling clothes and sucking on the breast of his mother, St. Mary. When they both saw this light, they were surprised. And the old woman asked Mary, Art thou the mother of this child? Mary replied, She was. On the which the old woman said, Thou art very different from all other women. And St. Mary answered, As there is not like any child unto my son, Neither is there any woman like unto his mother. Understand that point? Mary is considered the mother of God in the flesh. And the way of the Jew is to come in and defile her. In fact, when Christ tells the Jews in John chapter 8, that they respond by saying, We be not born of fornication. We be not born of fornication. Meaning, that they believed that Yahshua was born of fornication. And they were familiar with the fornication that transpired all the way back in the what? Protoevangelion. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. Where we are taught that Seth is a replacement for the offspring of Abel that Cain killed. So, very important to understand. Mary's birth was different than Jesus' birth, but they were both by the divine providence and prophecy of Yahweh God. And so, in your own free time, definitely look into these books, the Syriac Infancy Gospel, but most assuredly, the Protoevangelion, because it explains how, just like with Anna, Mary's mother, the prophecy of Mary's birth was fulfilled. So, this isn't happenstance. It doesn't happen serendipitously. God doesn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to decide today that I'm not in control of all things. That my people, somehow or another, are going to be drawn away from the truth of Christ by obliterating Christmas altogether. (laughs) That doesn't work, my friend. That doesn't work. And while we did not have time to look at the Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew, I will provide a link to it in the description of this particular sermon when it goes up on YouTube and many other places. My friends, please understand
I'm not saying to embrace the pagan elements of the Christian holiday. I'm not saying to go out and rub shoulders with any Tom, Dick, or Harry that chooses to believe in Yahshua. But I am saying we should be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And we should be able to understand that if the Jew had their way, they would obliterate Christmas and it would only take three to four years before we as an entire nation will have forgotten who Christ is. Yes, we're that lazy that we literally need to be drugged by our ear to the church if only once a year so we know these stories. And I say... Glory to Yahweh God. I know that there are venues like Eurofolk Radio and many other broadcasting networks who dare speak the truth about how the Jew despises Christmas. You're in, you're out, you're not going to see anything different this year. They're definitely going to be moving to obliterate Christmas. So we shouldn't play that rule or that game under the guise of the fact that it's supposedly a pagan holiday. Right. It's a pagan holiday. How many pagan idiots celebrate Satanella anymore? None. So when it's all said and done, do not allow the Jew to come in and kill your Christmas spirit. It is about the spirit, the spirit that was indwelled within Miriam's womb that she could bring forth in process of time that the shepherds, the Magi, even Herod and his temple courts, even the pre- the presents that were brought, the gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, every single one of those things were prophecies given to the Old Testament patriarchs. And if they were instructed to not look forward to and or celebrate the birth of Christ, then it's news to me. Because it appears to me that they most assuredly will were. And so, my friends, please join me seven days from today, 12 Eastern Standard, here on EFR, while we conclude in the final sermon of the entire year, Examples of Faith Part 2. And in that particular sermon, we're going to look at Moses, the Israelites, Rahab, the priests, Joseph, Jacob, Isaac, Sarah and her Sariat covenant that even less know about. And so, please join me then. I pray that you have a great, safe Christmas, my friends, and that you're able to bring other people to this truth. So, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this Bible study lesson with Pastor Visser of the Covenant People's Ministry. These teachings are recorded for you live by the Eurofolk Radio Broadcasting Network and can also be found in the archives of our church's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org. If you have any questions or comments regarding these messages, please write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205 USA. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Covenant Gathering. May God bless you and keep you and be with you always.